Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God I would lay on your hearts today comes from 1 Peter 3, verses 15 to 22, as follows. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So far, the Holy Word. Dependable, loyal, trustworthy. No, I'm not talking about my dog, Hunter. I'm talking about virtues, Christian virtues that all of us try to possess. All of us work at it, try to hone those Christian virtues of being faithful. You can really sum it up. Being faithful. As I mentioned earlier, today is the sixth Sunday of Easter. Five weeks has gone by already, including the Easter Sunday, since we celebrated the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. Time has gone by. Years have gone by since Jesus actually rose from the dead. And yet, here we are today through God's grace and mercy, being faithful, dependable, loyal, trustworthy children of God who have no greater desire than to go out and to tell others about we, what we ourselves have believed by faith. The resurrected Savior, the crucified Savior, the ascended Savior all there for us and for our benefit. So today's theme is Faithful Followers of the Risen Savior. Always be ready to defend your hope. By baptism, Jesus makes that hope you have secure. Faithful Followers of the Risen Savior. That's you. That's every child of God. That's every believer right now who, by faith, believes in the forgiveness of sins and their Savior, Jesus Christ. They're faithful followers because you can't believe in Jesus without wanting to follow His Word. That Word of God, which is Jesus Christ, He is the Word. The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus, told, whom Jesus promised, would send the Helper. He helps us to understand the, His meaning in each of, these, each of His words in the Scripture. We get to have that unending, uninterrupted help 
from God's powerful third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he is the one who helps us to sanctify. After all, the Holy Spirit's job is sanctification. You know what that means, right? To sanctify means to set apart from the rest of the world, to make it holy, in other words. And that's what our text opens up with. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And hasn't every believer of all time done that? Anyone who's truly understood that all of his sins have been paid for in full with the blood of Christ and that now you stand not only not guilty of your sins, them having them all been washed away, but God looks at you as having never ever sinned and never will sin. That message which we believe by faith, that enlarges our heart, that makes our hearts the temple of the Holy Spirit, that makes Jesus' promise of being in us true. We have this hope, this Christian hope that it's not like I hope you have a nice day or I hope you feel better. It's The Christian hope is the rock-solid, ironclad certainty of a thing. And it's because the gift of faith which God gives you hopes, trusts, and is confident that all of God's words are yes and amen. They are true and is, has never, ever lied and God has never broken a promise. So when we read in the scriptures for our comfort, for our assurance of all of life's difficulties that come our way, we can always be guaranteed that what the word says is the comfort and the truth that Jesus wants us to have. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that whom Jesus has placed in our heart. And so, faithful followers of the risen Savior, I'm talking to you. The text says, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Now we have talked about what that hope is. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's life not only now, but for all eternity. It's yours. It's sins forgiven. Especially those sins that keep cropping up again and haunting us in our lives. God says, they're gone. That gospel message that comes with a period after it. No strings attached. Those sins are done. And what's more, you never did them. That's the message. And that gospel message moves us to want to tell other people about that hope that we have. Always be ready to give a hope for the re- a defense for the reason that is in you. Now, there's only two religions in the world. The right one and the wrong one. The right one is that you go to heaven by grace alone in Jesus Christ. That's the right one. The wrong one is everything else. And it's all work related. It's all what you have to do to some degree or another. Well, you have a hope in the grace of God and His love and what He's done for you. That's your confidence. So when someone else wants to tell you different, or when someone else says, what do you believe in? Stand ready. Tell them. Tell them what you believe in. Give a defense. You know, this is called, uh, in uh, where I was trained as a pastor, we call that apologetics. Because the word apology in, in, the, old, in the old Elizabethan language doesn't mean, I'm sorry. It means, give a defense. To apologize for something would be to stand up for it. So, apologetics means standing up for your Christian faith. Oh, every time you meet someone who believes in the tens of thousands of millions of years that it took to create the world, 
you're standing up for your faith you are apologizing to them defending Genesis 1 and 2 that says nope took six days and that was actually only about 600 years 6,000 years ago and they say what do you believe that childhood fairy tale you know it's not that I of my own accord believe the Bible it's that gift that God gave me it's the same gift he gave you that faith that acts like a strong hand and grasps the six days of creation and gives me boldness and confidence to give an answer if I don't believe in creation there's a whole lot I'm missing out in in Christianity you're missing out into the fall into sin if I don't believe in creation then there is no fall into sin there's really no need there is no promise of a savior and there's no need for one there's no real Adam and Eve there's no real you know and on and on it's the foundation of our faith to believe in for instance creation and to stand up for it to give a defense is very important and that's not just the only thing but there's a lot of things that the Bible teaches that this world just does not agree with and sometimes you'll go toe to toe with someone who wants to tell you that you are foolish for believing what the Bible says when science and sheer common sense says otherwise to which we'll reply it's all a matter of faith isn't it by faith we believe not because we understand no faith isn't necessarily understanding something I don't understand the Trinity but I believe it I have faith in it because how can one plus one plus one equal one I don't know but that's what the Bible teaches and my faith believes it and you stand up for it and you give a defense of it to all those people who want to say there's three gods out there you can tell them they're wrong there aren't three gods there's one God it's found in three persons the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that's what the Bible tells us and you can show them the passages you can tell them here read what I read so that you'll know what I know and the Holy Spirit will work through that powerful word of God which is it is powerful it is able to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish in our hearts and lives proof of the pudding is the fact that we're here listening to God's word the fact that our hope our faith believes and has a hope in all of God's promises that proves it to us so we know it's true that's what the gospel message motivates us to be faithful followers of our risen Savior so that those people out there today who think that Jesus was just some good moral teacher that you should follow and emulate his example and make that the highlight of your life we could tell them you're missing out you're missing out on the gospel message of why Jesus lived a good life so that he could hand it to you so that his perfect keeping of God's law was offered up on a cross as a sacrifice for your imperfect keeping our text tells us that um, for Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust the unjust we didn't deserve it but Christ who was the just one who never sinned the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us now you and I enjoy his righteousness he took our unrighteousnesses all of them every last one we got his righteousness what a, tr what a gift certainly wasn't a, a good deal trade for Jesus why did he do it 
Therein you can plumb the depths of the word love for the rest of your life here. But that's what he did. He did it out of love. Genuine care and concern for your best interest, even to the death on the cross in your place. He did that. And that's what makes you and me and every believer followers. Followers who, every day, work on being dependable, loyal, faithful, uh, trustworthy. We follow that. We defend his name with gentleness and respect, meekness and fear, the this, this scripture says. We defend our hope using the word Jesus gives to strengthen our heart. And the same word that convinced us will convince others. And if need be, if you take the ridicule of, say, a professor in a classroom setting uh, in a public university, if someone tells you that, you know, what you believe in can't be true, well, we'll suffer for doing good. We'll take that ridicule and know that Jesus suffered far worse in our place for us. Faithful followers of the risen Savior, you are empowered by the Word of God. In fact, the text goes on to tell that Jesus, a couple of crucial important things here in these verses, that Jesus went down and preached to those souls who were disobedient in prison. We say it in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Suffered and died, he descended into hell. Third day he rose again. So the descended into hell part, why did Jesus do that? Some people think that he went down there to suffer for us. After all, we deserve hell for every single sin we've ever committed. But that's not the case. Jesus went down there to preach, to proclaim, not, not to save souls that were already in hell. That can't be done. Their time of grace is over. Jesus went down there to proclaim to them that the victory that he had promised, the forgiveness of sins, the whole plan of salvation had been accomplished with his death. That he fulfilled what he had promised, what all the prophets before had told them would happen, happened. And they wouldn't believe it, and that's why they're there. That's another important point of Scripture, isn't it? The only, what's the reason? There's only two places to go the end of your life or when judgment day comes there's heaven or hell both are very real places the only reason anyone ever goes to hell is because they didn't believe he that believes and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned shall be condemned Mark 16, 16 you see only unbelief condemns a person to hell that's why I know that all of those people from all time, even before the flood, after the flood, anyone who ever ends up in hell is there for one reason and one reason alone. It's not because they're bad people. In fact, Christ paid for all their sins. All their sins are completely paid for. The reason they're there is because they don't believe. Unbelief. Christ went down to hell and proclaimed to them that very same truth. They didn't believe in Him who is the resurrection and the life. What a gift and a blessing it is to have that gift of faith that grasps these truths, that you and I can say, ah, I have that gift. Then he goes on to compare those who were disobedient to the flood. Did you catch that? There's a really important point in Scripture. I'd like to explain a little teaching tool um, that Scripture uses sometimes called type-antitype. 
And the idea is this, to point to something that resembles something greater and, and talk about it. So, for instance, if I took a, get my cell phone and took a, I don't know if I could fit you all in, but if I took a picture, I'd have that picture of all of you sitting here nicely, and I could look at everyone, enlarge it, see everybody's face, and that would be nice to have. But what is that picture of you compared to the real you? Well, it's nothing. I mean, this picture doesn't move and talk back to me and breathe and it isn't a living soul. It, 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 has, it is so, so much smaller than the real thing. The picture is the type. The anti-type is you. Okay, now you know what type anti-type is. Comparisons, okay? Now here's a, the scripture using type anti-type, this powerful teaching tool. I'm going to help you understand it. 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. The type is the eight souls being saved in the flood. Now, I don't know about you. When I think of the flood, I don't usually think of what was saved. I think of the total global worldwide covering of the world with water and what was destroyed. God destroyed all of mankind except for eight souls. Noah, his three boys, and their wives. Four, eight people. Everything else besides the animals that were on the ark destroyed in the flood. That flood, biblical flood, happened. We know it. Every time I look at the breaks, I think, wow, that all happened inside a year in the flood. Go down to Hell's Canyon, it's not millions of years. That all happened in a short time. It's the flood, the weight of that water. That's what moved the tectonic plates and stuck the ocean floor up on the highest mountain and put the highest mountain down to the ocean floor. All that happened. What a powerful, what an incredible show of the forces of nature. Sometimes, you know, when you read that in Genesis chapter 7 about the flood, how it started raining and the windows of the heavens were open and it poured out and the fountains of the deep were broken up and it poured out. It's just water filling everything. There's, some say there could have been cyclones the size of the United States or there could have been 300 mile an hour winds with 300 degrees below zero. You just can't even fathom the forces of this destructive flood that occurred. Why why am I saying all that? It's because that's just a picture. That ain't nothing to what your baptism is. The flood and all its force and power, what did it do? It saved those eight people from the wickedness around them. The Lord saved them. And He says there is now an anti-type. Here's the real thing. Baptism. There is an anti-type which saves us. Your baptism. So every one of us can think of not only that great gift of faith that God gives us and nourishes us every time we get together and celebrate His Word, but wow, I've been baptized. You can use that every day. That flood, all its power and all the forces of nature behind it, eh, it's just a picture. The more powerful thing which forgives you your sins, which gives you the gift of faith, and you use every day to remind yourself of God's power over Satan and the devil and all the other evil forces in this world. He protected you, freed you from it. Baptism saves us. That's what this says. And the word baptism, it was so common in Jesus' day, 
I mean, you'd come in, your mother would call you in and say, baptize your hands, it's time to eat. So he has to put in this parathetical remark. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. He says, I'm not talking about washing your hands. I'm talking about baptism with the word that, right, that is an answer of a good conscience towards God. Are you fearful that God might not forgive you your sins? Think of your baptism. That, then that's the, your conscience will feel good. And you know, your conscience works two ways, right? It makes you feel bad when you do bad, good. That's, that should be that way. But your conscience also makes you feel good when good is done by you. When you think of your baptism, your conscience will make you feel good to stand in God's sight. Your conscience will believe and trust your, your faith believes and trusts in God's powerful word. And your conscience goes, sin's washed away. Your conscience says, uh, the waters connected with the word gave me faith and keeps me in the faith and is more powerful than for any of my enemies than even the flood was. That's just a picture. Baptism is the, where it's really at. That's what we have. The Bible proof for God's power is something you've experienced as a baptized child of God. That enables you, doesn't it? It's very enabling, having God's word, thinking of our baptism, also taking the Lord's Supper, which is another means of grace that God strengthens us and forgives us our sins. Very powerful. They're not just symbols, these things, baptism and communion. They're God's way of forgiving us. And that forgiveness is powerful. That enables us to be faithful pop followers of our risen Savior. It enables us to always be ready to give this same message to people who haven't heard it yet, or even to people who might stand against some of the things of Scripture. Defend what you know to be true. By baptism, Jesus makes your hope sure and convinces you every day of His great power and might, but most of all, of His love to keep you his own. In his name, amen.